Dr. Anantha Jurapal is the director of UNESCO's Mahatma Gandhi Institute for Education for Peace and Sustainable Development, or MGIEP. It is located in New Delhi, India, and is UNESCO's first Category 1 institute in the Asia-Pacific region. He is a fellow of the World Academy of Arts and Scientists, WAAS, a founding fellow of the Human Development and Capability Association, and visiting professor at the University of Tokyo, Japan. Dr. Dryapar is presently focused on researching and exploring how firing Gandhi neurons can be integrated into the educational curricula of the formal, informal and non-formal education systems around the globe. In this interview, we talk about why we must embed digital pedagogy, why we need to spend more time working on the system that teaches our children, and also the role of gamification and why it should be an essential component of our education systems. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging interview as I did. Please enjoy. Anantha, welcome to the podcast. I thank you so much for taking the time uh, today. Whereabouts are you phoning from? Uh, New Delhi. Uh, happy to be here. Um, having this chat with you. Um, uh, it's about 10.30 New Delhi time. Yeah. Uh, we're hitting the... We're getting, uh, we're experiencing climate change uh, firsthand. Uh, the heat has come on at least three weeks before what it should. Um, Gosh. But that's the reality of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple of rapid fire questions just to get to know you. I've been fascinated with uh, y- your work, and uh, the last couple of weeks I haven't been able to stop reading some of your publications. But um, what is your coffee order just for when we can finally meet and grab a coffee? Most important well, question. Uh, I indulge every morning with what I call a, a fusion of uh, uh, Italian technology with Malaysian coffee, uh, co- finished off with condensed milk. Wow! Um, sounds very decadent, and a coffee connoisseur most probably will roll his eyes up when he when he when he hears that I mutilate those coffee beans with condensed milk, but. It's something that I just can't give up. So that I start off with my morning with that, but most of the days with just espressos, uh, you know, short. Uh, it's, I guess, a remnants of my stay in Italy. I've never been able to get off that habit. I need uh, those cups of quick espressos and then off you go. Fantastic. Uh, efficient, straight to the point. Uh, that uh, That's wonderful. Um, is there a... Um, is there a book that has made you stop and reconsider everything? Uh, it's, it's difficult to just say one, but I would say among the many uh, that have kind of basically charted my whole career, but even more than career, my even you know, personal life, uh, it started off with, I would say development as freedom by Amartya Sen, who basically kind of said that, you know, the kind of economic paradigms that we are trained, I'm a trained economist, if you're not aware of that, in a very traditional neoclassical uh, system at the University of Texas at Austin. But, you know, Amartya's work kind of put it into perspective of bringing it back to people. And... And then, the, and then the, the book by Daniel Kahneman on thinking fast, thinking slow, really, I think that's the one that 
really the tipping point because it started to get me interested in what happens in there. Yeah. Uh, and when you talk about how that fast thinking versus slow thinking, it is so natural, isn't it? When, we, when you reflect on how we actually make decisions and how we think about. Uh, so Daniel Kahneman's uh, stuff, and then, and then Daniel Goldman's work on uh, the emotional intelligence then really got me interested. And that's basically now kind of dictating a lot of the stuff that we do. So I would say, yeah, that's the progression. Look, I, I'm so grateful to uh, for you for mentioning some of those books. I'm, I'm scribbling them down, but I'm, I'm a huge um, a fan of some of those authors. And it's really interesting to see um, kind of some of your reading being reflected in uh, the work that you're currently doing uh, at UNESCO, which is really interesting. Um, is there... Um, is there a particular author that you would love to meet and have a conversation with that you haven't had a chance to yet? Well, I met, uh, I would want to meet actually uh, Robert Sapolsky, uh, whose book I had not mentioned, but that's the latest one, which is I'm kind of, is, uh, and I'm struggling with it because it is a little bit difficult, but the whole notion of the evolutionary of human behavior and decision-making and his book on behave uh, is just uh, mind-boggling. So if I could have uh, dinner with him, and in fact, we were supposed to have it if this silly pesky virus didn't come and um, mess our whole lives. Because uh, he's down at uh, Stanford and uh, a good uh, mutual friend of ours, Paul Ehrlich, promised me that uh, we could have dinner in the Bay Area the next time I was down in the, in the Silicon Valley. Fantastic. Well, that, um, that would sound like a wonderful conversation. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on that one. It sounds amazing. It sounds like a really fascinating individual. Yes. Uh, and uh, just looking at him, uh, apparently I hear that he's a rock star at Stanford. Uh, it's like uh, buying a, buying a uh, ticket to a rock concert uh, because it's just packed. Amazing. So, uh, so he, it seems like he's a great lecturer as well that the students love. Amazing. Uh, and and Anthony, for those people that are not uh, familiar with your work, uh, what currently has your attention and focus? What are you really, I can see in the background, obviously you have the UNESCO logo. Uh, what are some of the things that are consuming a lot of your time at the moment? I'm on a mission this uh, uh, and it was interesting when I took this position, it was very different from my my previous, my previous uh, work, but I have two. One is really bringing uh, social and emotional learning as part of our education systems, um, not as a subject, not as a, as a curriculum, but as an integral part of our whole learning and educational experience. And the second uh, is about strengthening the science policy nexus in education. I'm surprised how little science influences educational policy. And, uh, and science has uh, a lot to say, especially the sciences of learning, uh, some of the latest research. It's, it's still relatively new, actually. It's, it's about 20 to 25 years, but uh, some of the stuff that's coming out is extraordinary, and it actually um, uh, makes learning more fun, but also a lot more effective. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Do you think that your uh, previous life as, as an economist has really prepared you for this role in education? And what are some of the parallels that you see uh, between the two seemingly uh, unrelated uh, areas of expertise? Uh, well, as an economist, it has been, I think it's trained me to be a skeptic. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, I think, uh, but, but you know, most economists tend to be very critical. So I think that criticality uh, has, I think has, uh, has helped me. Uh, I, am a, I am a systems guy in a sense, if you look at my past, I started off doing uh, a first degree, which was a combination of maths and physics. Um, then then uh, in a, a short term of insanity, uh, took an MBA and actually worked in a bank, uh, and then immediately uh, uh, brought, got back my sanity and and did a PhD in economics, but in primarily in mathematical model. So the systems thinking, the logic, I think, kind of carried over, yeah. and I think it also tended to uh, equip me with in terms of questioning assumptions. Because that's all economics is about. It's all, a lot of a lot of it is based on assumptions, and I think most of the kind of stuff that we tend to do is based on many assumptions that we forget. Yeah. So I'm more important in the assumptions underlying theories and policies rather than the actual policies themselves. Yeah, fantastic. And and what um, what do you think are some of those assumptions? Obviously, we are uh, we work in two very different educational contexts. But what do you think are some of those um, educational assumptions that, that you need to challenge or maybe approach with a more sceptical mind that you mentioned before as an economist? It's actually borrowed from economics. Uh, little do we know that how strongly influenced society is with economics these days. And the one that the assumption is of rationality. And this is why uh, Daniel Kahneman's book completely turned it uh, on its tail. And it's sort of saying that and then followed by Dan Arely's book on predictably irrational, that we are irrational uh, beings. And, and the, the, the whole fact of irrationality, the role of emotions that play in decision-making, um, the, 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 uh, the thing that fascinated me from Daniel Goldman's book, which was the Amagadala hijack, which when one sits back and reflects, you sort of see how many times when we have been hijacked by that same neural network. Um, but if and we don't realize it and we think it's so rational, but it wasn't. So I think the whole notion of rationality, which, uh, which has kind of uh, flowed over into education and therefore our emphasis purely on cognitive uh, aspects, which means knowledge. Mm. I, I'm not saying knowledge is not important. Knowledge is critical. It's, I think we, it would, we would say it is a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient. And I think we need to g give it with a good dose of the emotional dimensions. Uh, and so that, that whole balance between the emotion and the cognition would be what I think we should be aspiring to within our education and learning systems. Fantastic. Um, Anapa, thank you so much for, for answering this. I mean, there's almost a podcast episode in each of the points that you raised, so I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time to unpack those. I I'm just curious what your um, experience was like as a student, and do you think that 
Um, do you think that had an impact on how you approach your role in education currently? I, I think so. In fact, it is. I think it's one of the overriding factors when I now reflect back on my education. I, I, I can't say that I had a great educational experience until I reached... Um, when I did my master's in business administration, but that even then in economics and then when I did my PhD. So my school experience, I don't think was something which I would want to uh, intentionally remember. Sometimes it's gone off from the memory banks because it's not something that you want to. I, all I could, I could uh, uh, remember is of rote memorization, preparing for exams, and it was a game. Uh, a game of spotting the questions. It wasn't really about study, learning the issues. You know, one of the best examples I give, I give is uh, take an example of uh, uh, what many would sort of say, satoric uh, topic of calculus. Uh, but I find, I find calculus, I find beauty in calculus, but the only reason I found beauty in calculus was when I started to understand how relevant it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not a, a difficult concept. But for the for the longest time, it was just rote memorization and solving linear differential equations without understanding what exactly were you were doing. And the teachers fell into that trap, uh, basically preparing you for exams. And I'm really one of the biggest critics of the type of exa examination systems that we have. Uh, so that has influenced me quite a bit. And, and as you say, you're the father of two young children uh, when we were having a chat before this. I am a father of three, uh, three children and they're all grown up. But my eldest, uh, my eldest went through one of the toughest times and I always say he's my champion because he taught me so many things. The, the fact was he was diagnosed with acute dyslexia very, very young. But for a long time, he had to go through our silly systems that really classified him as lazy, stupid. I've had a teacher come and say, you know, we're sorry to say, but your son is a little bit slow. Um, he's not going to make it in. But all he was was he, he was not able to learn in the standardized way that is what I say designed for 20% of the population. Wow. Um, and... And then when we put him, when we gave him the right resources with the right school, he blossomed. Wow. Um, and, and till now, I don't see mathematics. I practice and work. He comes to me and he says, I see chemistry. Amazing. What a wonderful thing for a father to hear of a son saying, I see chemistry. And I said, I hated chemistry. <laughs> and I can't see it, but he sees it. Now, our education system could not take advantage of that and, and then let him blossom. And, and that has put me in this, in this mission to change our system to accommodate these kids, but all kids. Wow. Wow. It's um, hearing you talk. Um, it, it really is so inspiring. And I think it, it's so wonderful to hear someone that is um, so committed to, to having that really or influencing um, education systems at that level. And I'm just really curious, um, if you were building an education system from the ground up, 
hypothetically, of course. Um, what would be some of its essential qualities? I mean, you mentioned before um, with your personal story of your son um, not really fitting with the structure that he was um, in. So how do you think you would um, build an education system and what would be some of the, the essential components? Well, I think learning must be fun. So I think that's the first essential uh, criteria that every learning system should have. It should be individualized. Now, people say, okay, this guy has gone off his rockers. Uh, you know, take India, for example, they, we have 330 million kids. How are you going to go and individualize uh, for every child? Uh, I think we have the technology right now. I think we have the resources. Uh, the problem is we are misguided in where we place our resources. These are our children. And when for if you take for everybody, even a policymaker, who who what who what is his most precious? Uh, I don't want to use the word commodity, but for want of another word, yeah, come on. I was to say my child. That's the most important asset. That's the most important thing to my life. And yet, why do we spend so little on the system to make him flourish? And I want to use that term flourish. Um, not to make him as part of, a, uh, of this huge missionary called human capital to work an economic system, but for him to flourish. Uh, and we have that, and, 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 and we are moving towards that with, with the whole uh, use of artificial intelligence, individualized learning, using the whole big data. But again, I want to emphasize, we have to do it within bounded, with the boundaries to protect our children. You know, AI is not the, it's not the ultimate solution. We have to make sure that it doesn't violate the security, the privacy of the child. That's very important. Then gamification. Now, we, I, I, I used to love playing video games. Now, how, why not I learn mathematics through games? When I'm playing, uh, when I'm racing cars, I'm... Uh, Velocity, acceleration, gravity, these are all things that have been built into the gaming because that's how it is. You drive a car, you feel forces of uh, G-forces when you go at 100 miles per hour. So we could bring this into the game. And game is such a natural evolution. Once you get achieved a certain mastery, you go to the next level. And you are incentivized to go to the next level. And so you want to master this. Yes. Yeah. Why don't we do that? So gamification is something that is, in, I think, uh, that we could fun interactive, uh, where I can interact with others, maybe not physically, but uh, digital. The thing with digital, and I want to bring this whole notion of the fact that we live in one small planet. Uh, you know, we... we I don't know, maybe four or five generations later, they will sort of say, are these crazy people to have been fighting over all these resources when they didn't realize that they were all living in something so small within this larger cosmos? Yeah. But how do we get our, our young people to talk with each other across the world? A young Australian to talk to a little child in a village in India versus a, mid, uh, a kid from the Midwest in the US. Digital technology allows us that. 
we, it's right now we don't have the resources to bring them in face to face, but I'm hoping one day we will as well. But so I think digital, I, I see the digital era and COVID-19, I think has been a game changer in showing how we could take advantage, but it also says how ill-prepared we are because we haven't taken advantage of digital pedagogy. That is another thing that we have been focusing a lot on. Not ICT, but digital pedagogy. It's a pedagogy by itself, interactive, immersive, experiential. So these are all the, the words that I would like to have in an So if you go onto our website, there's a little video that we made very early on and it shows about that kind of a transition from the old to the new. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking at. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Ender's Game. No, um, I haven't. I've heard a lot about it, but I'll definitely be checking it out after our discussion. I think it sounds amazing. And I would love to have our children go through that, but of course not being manipulated by the people <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the movie. Well, yeah. finally in the game they actually destroyed a civilization without them realizing it yeah. but the whole learning process was so experiential i i think you know something of that nature holodex uh, i would love to have our children go into holodex i think it will be a reality i am a star trek i'm a trekkie i watch star trek i'm a fan of star trek the next generation and i would love to have my child go into a holodex and learn and yeah, experience yeah. so there you are can i just say um and i'm so glad to hear someone else say that they're a fan of star trek um it's i haven't heard anyone say that for many years but i'm very grateful that you are um it's uh really interesting i remember being a young kid um in the in the uk and watching an episode with jean-luc picard and they had these computers which i just thought looked amazing they were flat computers and now we have them in our homes they're ipads and they're nothing particularly special and i remember watching that and thinking my goodness if this is what the future is like i can't wait to be a part of it but of course the future tends to exceed our expectations and it seems to happen dramatically faster than we think um, you mentioned uh, really briefly uh, just about some of the lessons from covid um sorry uh, some of the impact sorry excuse me from the covid19 pandemic on the education system uh, what do you think are some of the other lessons that we're learning um, uh, as a result of the pandemic? And are you confident that education systems will be able to respond accordingly to that? Or do you think it will continue to widen the gap between um, students from various socioeconomic statuses? It's a very long question. My apologies. So let me start off with the more general in yeah. terms of COVID and society and then drill it down to education. I, I, I think what COVID has revealed is the dark side of humanity, uh, where we have turned inwards rather than really working as a unit, a global unit, where countries have now starting to hold vaccines, uh, closing off border. I, I think it. I, I don't think it was a collaborative effort. And, and I don't think, I think we have really disenfranchised our international multilateral organizations that we have uh, developed when we had the last catastrophic event, uh, which ended in 1945, was the Second World War. And, our, and 
you know, we tend to forget history very quickly. And, and, and it was unfortunate that we didn't rebound and sort of say, we need collaboration. Uh, we need a lot more uh, synergy between the countries, those who have the resources, those who don't. But I think everybody had their own strengths to bring to the table. I, 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 I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that collaboration. But the good thing that we see is within those countries, people have banded and come together, like listening to the communities where the first in Italy, where somebody opened their balcony and sang and every, you know, the whole community started to get together. Now, I just would love to see it at a global level uh, because I always stress the global because I still think that we have we are a very small, more fragile planet. So we need to think collaboratively. We need to put our resources into more productive things like education and science and research rather than into arms and, uh, and so forth. Uh, that's, I don't think, that's a zero-sum game. Uh, whereas I think with uh, investment in education, it's a win-win game for everybody. Uh, now for education, um, I think we would, we, we, we have come, one of the lessons I think when we listen to, uh, to the children, and we have to listen to the children in education, I, I sometimes think that it's one sector that we don't listen to the client, um, and it makes bad economic practice when you don't listen to the client. Um, but our client, our children, when we listen to them, the, the thing that they miss most about school is the socialization that they have with their friends. Not so much about the learning and the maths and stuff. So the school, as we go back, I think would have to be a re-engineered space where we build that kind of social competencies. Um, the competencies of mindfulness, which means emotion regulation, because COVID has really brought to their attention how emotions, mental health is so important. Um, how to m have emotional resilience at times of stress, like what we have gone through. Emotional uh, resilience is important in terms of mindfulness, emotion regulation, attention regulation. Then of course, empathy in terms of understanding the others uh, who are in their own, uh, in their own perspective and not to make values, judgments based on from yourself. And then compassion is to do something about it rather than just, uh, just uh, being empathetic. Um, so these are, these are the kind of trainings I think our new education system uh, should. I always say MGIP was ahead of the curve because we focused on digital pedagogies and SEL before COVID hit us. We started this in 2015, 2014, when I, 2015, we started putting together all these things. We knew that the digital world was the new, the new frontier. As a, as, a, as a trek, you know, the final frontier. So this is the new frontier. And, and, I, and we knew that, and, but we need to, we wanted to make sure that we take advantage of it rather than just being a transmission, transmissive kind of a medium. And then, of course, social-emotional, because 
the WHO report in 2015 was saying that mental health, depression, suicides, and anxiety is now going to be one of the most crisis, health crisis that we're going to face, and especially among the younger generation. The school is one of the best places to start training them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you talked... Um, it's so wonderful to hear you talk about some of the work that you're doing at the NGIEP. So for those that are not familiar, it's the Mahatma Gandhi Institute for Education for Peace and Sustainable Development. Um, uh, briefly, what are some of the goals of this organisation and um, what are some of the things that you are, uh, some of the big questions that you're trying to answer? You've touched on a few of them, but are there any others? Well, it's a lofty goal, um, and I think it's one that the, uh, the Mahatma had always been uh, pushing for. Um, he had two, he had many keywords, but the two that we tend to really focus on is Satyagraha, which is truth, and Ahinsa, which is nonviolence. Um, and what we thought, and this is something that I, I wanted to stress, is that Learning about nonviolence, learning about empathy, learning about sustainable development, reading it from the books does not mean that you're going to act in that particular way. So what we say is, uh, you know, you can see many people cite Gandhi and then go and do exactly the opposite. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, for an eye will leave the world blind, but yet, you know, if somebody hits... Some, somebody pulls the trigger, the, the next reaction is, I'll pull the trigger again. Um, so it's a never-ending downward spiral. <laughs> so our goal, and drawing from some of the recent work from the neurosciences, is what we say is building the Gandhi neural networks. So what does it need? What, does, what kind? of training do you need to wire the neural networks that Gandhi had developed over his whole life? Because one of his sayings is that when he said, my life is, is, my, is my philosophy. But that took many years over time. And as you know, with Gandhi, he went through times where he's been called a racist during his time in South Africa. And he has sort of said, yes, I have. But he has he evolved, he changed. And, and, and that's the whole process of living. But if we can train our young people to kind of develop those neural networks, which Gandhi had, uh, had developed over his lifespan, or even attempting to do it on a daily basis is, is good enough. And that's wh where we are focusing on. Fantastic. And for those people that are listening, I just wanted to read a quote. Um, uh, I, I believe it's from you. Please correct me if it isn't. Um, but it says, we need an education for human flourishing, flourishing in a way that you have freedom to achieve the life that you value. We need an education system that trains us to be curious, to inquire, and to be critical for our own understanding, rather than just taking in what the teacher says. Additionally, we need systems that train us to be kind, compassionate, and empathetic. And one of the follow-up questions I'd have for that, and I, I assume, sorry, that is your quote, is that correct? 
I believe so. Yes. Um, it's a long one. It goes on and on, but uh, I, I haven't, I don't think I'll reach the stage of uh, Gandhi and others where they can give this really powerful one uh, uh, one sentence. But I, I believe I've said those things, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a little long to put in a t shirt, but it is a really wonderful quote. Um, one of the follow up questions I did have um, uh, for that is, uh, and you've talked a little bit about this, so. Do you believe that the education system is much more than a means to an end? And what are we, uh, what are some, you've talked a little bit about emotional intelligence, building sustainability and um, that uh, empathetic understanding with our students. What do you think the main role for our education system is? And as I said, is it much more than just a means to an end? Well, it surely must be more than just a means. Uh, uh, And I think education is about, it's about, finding ourselves. Uh, it's about our exploration within ourselves as well as an exploration with others and an explore, exploration with the outer world. Um, so I would sort of say that, you know, one of the three things is uh, be kind to yourself, be kind to others and be kind to nature. Um, so it, I think it's important uh, uh, tell me again the questions. I've kind of lost my thought, uh, train of thought there. Sure, that, that's that's completely fine. It was a very long-winded question. So my question was: Is the edu- isn't it, sorry is an education system so much more than a means to an end? It is. I, I it has to be. So why do you learn? Uh, do I learn just to be part of a missionary to produce things? Do I learn just to make more money? Or do I learn to be, to be, uh, to be a wise person, to pursue knowledge for the sake of knowledge? It becomes a constitutive part of myself rather than just being a, 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 an instrument for something else. Yeah. And I think education has to provide an environment such as that. And I think we have. So I want to sort of look at the history. Now, if you go back to the old Greeks like Socrates and Aristotle times, they had a very dialogic, debatable kind of an education uh, system where they debated things, and they debated things about of what is to be. Um, you know, they debated about issues of governance, democracy, stuff like that. The only problem with that system was it was only, re- uh, it was only available for the elite. It was an entitlement. Whereas 90% of the rest of the population were basically slaves and, and had no, uh, they did not have the right to. Then we moved on, and I would say from the start of the Industrial Revolution, where we have what we have right now is a mass education system where they were saying there's a need to bring education to the masses. Why only to the elite? But I think with the wrong objective is, is to fuel this revolution. Now, we've done that. We still have ways to go, uh, but we are, you know, literacy rates and numeracy rates have gone up although the emotional intelligence is not there at all. But what we now need to do is go back to the the Socrates and the Confucius as well as, and it's all 
well, it's not just a Western concept. I, I, I think many people sort of say, oh, that's the West. I think it's across all the cultures. You found that in the, in the Middle East, you found that in the Vedic times in India, as well as during Confucius and Menskus uh, you know, in, in East Asia. Um, but it was always elite groups who, were, who had access to that. Then we went to mass education and then we lost sight of that dialogic, debatable kind of a, of a study. And we became more focused on uh, more mechanistic, if I can use in terms of knowledge. It contributed to a lot of the science that we have. It contributed to improving our, our quality of life. But our inner self, we forgot about that. And we just became, I would sort of say, semi-mechanized robots. Now, I think with the, with, it's a time where we go back to those. And that's what it's all about, an education for human flourishing. It's yeah. about the, to debate, to have a dialogue in what our existence, what is the purpose, um, pursuing knowledge for the sake of knowledge, learning mathematics for the sake of mathematics, because to understand the cosmos, to understand the physics uh, that underpin our lives, the biology, the chemistry, not purely just to make use of it for something, but just for the knowledge for the sake. And of course, what I say is a positive externality that will come out of that is all the science and advancement and innovation that we have. So, I focus on human flourishing, which is a good combination of the cognition as well, the critical inquiry as well as the emotional, and a positive externality would be all that knowledge to advance the human. Fantastic. I mean, you've covered so much um, in that response. Thank you very much. Um, in a recent article that you wrote uh, in the Blue Dot Journal, um, uh, which was titled Education Beyond the Rhetoric. Um, I, sorry, let me rephrase that question. Uh, you recently wrote uh, for the Blue uh, Dot Journal uh, an article called Educa uh, Education Beyond the Rhetoric. Just wondering if you uh, would mind talking about what um, the premise, of, sorry, what the thesis of that, uh, that article is, and also what do you think are some of the rhetorics associated with education that need to be challenged if you haven't already covered some of those? So I, I think. What I was trying to get at that is we say multiple things and they're not synergistic. Um, and we have to take a more holistic approach. So we talk about education for peace. We talk about education for sustainable development. We talk about education for global citizenship. But yet our main education system is one which is based on assessments on maths, numeracy, literacy, the usual uh, so-called subjects. Now, if the focus is on, on those subjects which are focused on uh, building human capital, which is focused on contributing towards GDP, the gross domestic product, which is a very materialistic, consumeristic society, you can't then at the same time 
talk about peace and sustainable development because I think they're in contradiction. Uh, assessments tend to pit each e us against each other because you will have the top, the second, the third, the fourth. It's about beating the other. And I always say, be your own benchmark, which means I want to beat myself in a sense if I had, if I had performed at X, I want to perform at X delta positive for my next. And I say I have improved and I'm happy. And I want to continue with that. But I don't want to compare delta uh, X plus positive delta with another person's delta. Yeah. Because then you're you're pitting each other and that tends to i think create a predatorial type of an instinct because i have to compete with the others and in that process you tend to bring out negative behaviors yeah yeah and so the education system has to change in terms of the way it evaluates uh, 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 the learner the way it assesses the learner and incentivizes the learner and motivates and rewards the learner fantastic i i couldn't agree more and um considering uh what you're currently working on uh which is entitled firing gandhi uh, gandhi neurons uh is that um does that really encapsulate some of those uh, topics that you discussed about social and emotional learning um would you mind spending a few moments unpacking that and also the progress of that research so the, the term we coined uh, came from uh, this neuroscientist V.C. Ramachandran who wrote The Phantom Brain and The Mirror Neurons. And in his last, in one of his TED Talks, he talked about the mirror neurons and he called empathy neurons and he aligned it to the Gandhi neurons. Um, so um, unfortunately, these days, you can never be the originator of any original topic anymore. Everybody else has thought about it <laughs> before you have. <laughs> but, we, we, you know, I, but he posed an interesting uh, problem to us. And we sort of saying, okay, so what would that neural, we know that the neurons are important, but it's the neural networks which are important. So it's not about the left brain, the right brain. It's about the connections across the brains. So what we, based on different, different studies on neurosciences and, uh, and the neuroimaging that they have done, they call it fMRI and, and stuff, uh, you sort of see where things get lighted up when you're doing the cognitive processes. So the critical inquiry is more the cognitive uh, challenges, how that parts of the brain, where do the brains light up when you have emotional uh, regulations when you get angry the emotions react and stuff like that they have studies which show that and then it talks about the attention regulation they talk about the uh, the whole notion of where the empathy uh, aspects are and so forth and so on and therefore we kind of connected those areas to sort of say this looks pretty much like the neural network that needs to be activated or which needs to be trained such that we have um, basically trying to change what Daniel Kahneman talks about the fast and the slow. And when you talk about the fast, is basically uh, you're looking at what neuroscientists talk about the fight, 
freeze, and flight. So fight, freeze, flight. Uh, Akriti told me not to tell the last F uh, because I did one. She said, Ananta, don't do that last F. Okay. Uh, I'll let you think about what the last F is, which is very natural for all living things, uh, for the survival of our species. Hint, hint. So you have, um, so how to change that fight to one of compassion? Uh, how to change the one to flee uh, to one of empathy and to come? Uh, so, so that's what we are trying to, so that the first, you know, these initial reactions are very important as well. If somebody, uh, hopefully, we have a world where you won't get to, into a situation, but if somebody throws a punch or some, something comes towards you, you have that initial reaction of aversion and stuff. Those are the neurons that are working with the sensory. Those will continue. But in terms of external stimuli coming out from others where we want to regulate those uh, such that you're trained in sense your first reactions are not one of anger. If somebody criticizes you, the first thing you think is it's an attack and you want to react and you want to react to sort of counter, but rather sort of saying, there must be a reason why this person is reacting this way. It might make sense, or if it doesn't, according to you, then it must be something that he's having a problem with. So let me try to, let me try to help out the situation here rather than it getting into uh, a back back and forth in terms of, uh, if not of a physical, it becomes a verbal intellectual uh, fight. I've lost your... Sorry, I've, I'm back. That was, that was my fault. I had a few connection issues. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And um, Anantha, I want to be uh, respectful of your time, so just a couple more questions, if you wouldn't mind. Um, the first one is, what advice would you give to someone who is considering a career in education? Specifically teaching. <laughs> it's an interesting question, uh, Matthew, because I, I'm not sure if our uh, education, I, I might be shooting myself here with a lot of colleagues, but I'm not sure if the education departments are... Uh, 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 well, I, I, let me rephrase. Find an education department which is out-of-the-box thinking, which has a multidisciplinary approach to the way it handles its uh, programs, which means it, it's not agnostic towards bringing in people from the neurosciences, psychology, uh, uh, and just focusing on traditional educational studies. So if you find, and there are programs that have incorporated that, they tend to sometimes be silos within the, the departments, but there are where they actually have started a lot more integration. It was interesting, we are doing this huge assessment, which, is, which I think is the first of its kind for education. It's called the International Science and Evidence uh, Education Assessment something like what the IPCC does for climate change, bringing in all the literature and trying to make sense of it if it contradicts or whether it supports. And you would be surprised to see the amount of resistance from the different disciplines within education. Why is it, what, what, what role has the neuroscience got to do in education? And I'm like, 
I'm flabbergasted as somebody who's outside the outside the the discipline to sort of say, but if you understand some of this, it contributes to to the whole process of learning and stuff. So I think if you um, and and look for a program that also has a training on the social and emotional. And if you don't, I would definitely advise on taking one. There are many which, if not formally within the department, on social emotional, trying to learn what it is about, train yourself as well, because it will do you a lot of benefit because teaching is, is a stressful environment because you're dealing with children and children act up and stuff. So you need to be so grounded, emotionally grounded, unbiased, and you have to be a mentor to them as well. Mm -hmm. So you need to be so emotionally resilient. I think it's one of those few uh, vocations that need a lot of emotional resilience. It's one of the toughest disciplines, I think, which, wow. is, which is hardly recognized and uh, given the kind of recognition it should. But I would suggest that if you can't find something formal, is to, is to build your emotional resilience, learn how to build, bring that into your classrooms. And then if you're looking for a, for a program, look at one which is interdisciplinary and encourages interdisciplinary work. Fantastic. Really, uh, really well said. Uh, just uh, two more quick questions. So you, you've worked and traveled uh, extensively around the world from the University of Texas to Tokyo, Japan. Uh, you've worked obviously and continue to work with the United Nations. Uh, why did you uh, want to return uh, to India and have an impact on the education system there? So I'm not Indian. Um, I, I'm a Malaysian with half the foot in Canada. Um, and in fact, we had one foot in Australia, uh, but took that off and put it in Canada. So we're kind of global uh, all over the place. Uh, I took up this position, in a, it, it, what excited me about this position was not UNESCO per se, but Mahatma Gandhi Institute of Education for Peace and Sustainable Development. The, the Mahatma's name really attracted me and I was wondering, you know, what is this all about? And then I had the fortunate opportunity to be the inaugural director, which means I was able to lay down the kind of work program and not have some baggage be thrown at me. So I, was, we, I had the freedom to design it the way that we wanted to. And I was lucky enough to have a governing board that felt very strongly with the way that we were moving rather than doing a traditional approach of more cognition, talking about the Gandhi. We all know the Gandhi, what he has to say. We, you know, it's very bibliophile if, if one wants to think about it, but we don't practice it. And so the whole idea here is how do you practice and train yourself so that you create those neural networks that will make you a kinder, more compassionate person? Amazing. Incredible. That, um, that seems like such a wonderful place to begin to wrap things up. It's so inspiring to, um, to get to meet you virtually. Um, and also, I, I can't wait to continue to explore some of your, um, some of your work. So where uh, can people find out more about you? Um, there was an interesting question when I saw that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't have a website. Be, uh, my comms officer, Akriti, always 
kind of friends here, you know, you got to get out there. You can't be a recluse sitting in your office and doing your papers and writing stuff. I think the best place is to come to the MGIP website. Yeah. And when you see the work that you, that we do, it reflects a lot about the thinking that, uh, that goes on in, in terms of what I, my ideology and my thinking is. Yeah. And there is, a, I think, a director's page, which, which I think is the most boring part of the whole website. But if you really uh, you know, need to have something, you're having trouble going to sleep in the evenings and you need something to um, not take a chemical to go to bed, read that particular part of the website and, uh, and I most probably will have a good night's sleep. Fantastic. I'll make sure that I put a link uh, to that website uh, in our show notes. And final question, um, Anantha, um, if you could get a message out to educators, what would it be? I thought hard on this one. And I thought I, rather than have a long sentence, I would sort of say, be critical, do reflect, be empath empathetic, and be compassionate. Fantastic. That is some wonderful advice. And um, I'm sure that there will be teachers um, that are listening to this all over the world that take so much, not only out of that, uh, those final comments, but also our whole interview. So, um, Anantha, thank you so much for taking the time. It is an incredible privilege to get to speak to you. And I uh, can't wait for uh, a round two at some point. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. It was a, it was a great chat. Uh, have fun with the children. They grow up very quickly. Uh, and 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 just uh, that's all I can say. After three kids who are about to fly the nest, uh, those are precious times. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. -bye. Have a good day. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussion. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com. I've one favour to ask. If you could please head to the iTunes page of the podcast and rate and review the episode. This would really help to get the interviews and resources to as many people as possible. Also, I've created a private Facebook group so that we can continue the discussion after each episode. The link is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and until next time.